In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Isaiah, my baby child. Just kidding. He was our first. Believe it or not, this one used to be a baby. He's going to help me with an illustration. He used to not be able to walk at all, right? Couldn't even stand up on his own. So some parents will understand this. So we would, uh, we would do this number when he was just a tiny little baby, right? Like we would walk around, <laughs> we would walk around like this, right? So he got used to that motion, right? Thank you. Get out of here. Um, thanks for staying as emotional support, Tucker. He really, he needed that. I wanted you to see that. There's a reason. We're headed back into the wood chipper today. Easter's over, right? It's not. Easter's not over. Jesus is still alive. And even though this part of Ephesians that we've been in in the couple weeks leading up to the break we took for Palm Sunday and Easter, and the words that we'll hear today are, are convicting, heavy, challenging, we still rest in the power of the resurrected Jesus. In fact, what we're going to see today is just like Isaiah and all of our other kids, even when they didn't have the strength to stand, they still walked because they walked with their feet on top of their father's feet and their hands held by their father. Paul's going to help us with that a little bit today as we get into back into Ephesians in chapter 5. If you remember the way Ephesians is, is set up, the first three chapters are fancy word in, indicatives. They're realities, things that are absolutely true about God. And because those things are true about God, there's certain things that are true about us. They're unchanging, unmovable facts about who God is and who we are because of what Jesus did. And the vast majority of the first three chapters of Ephesians is that. And so we get to hear all this good news about our God. We get to hear all this good news about who we are in Christ. But then we switch into chapters four and six, four through six, into a bunch of imperatives. Things that now we are called to do as the people of God in response to these realities about God and about what Jesus has done. And so we're back into those imperatives. We're going to see some of them today, but we have to remember that the imperatives are established, empowered, and insured because of the indicatives, because of the realities of God's grace towards us. If we forget that, then these activities that we're called to in the second half of the book of Ephesians will will be heavy burdens. And some days, if we're honest, we hardly even feel like we have the strength to stand, let alone walk in full obedience to, to our Father. So here's what I hope we'll see today, that to walk in the way of the gospel means we never walk alone. To walk in the way of the gospel means we never walk alone. But instead, we walk in the Father's ways filled with the Holy Spirit alongside our big brother, Jesus. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is with us as we walk in the way of the gospel. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please please give us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
We're going to start in verse 15. Here's, here's how it'll break down, just if, you're in, if, you, if you like an outline. Verses 15 and 17 are going, through 17 are going to get to this point that our gospel walk, like to walk in the truth and in the realities of the gospel, is marked by God's will. You're going to see that in the first three verses. Then we'll see that our gospel walk is one that it must be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the, the Holy Spirit. And then at the very end, we're going to see how Jesus, right, is our big brother who walks with us, right, yoked up with Jesus in that pursuit. But first, Paul says this, verse 15, as he writes to the church at Ephesus, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So Paul says there's a way to walk that is wisdom, and there's a way to walk that is not wisdom. The, the Bible paints a lot of contrast, and it doesn't apologize for doing that. Uh, that there are, are ways to walk that are wise, ways to walk that are unwise, and he's going to help us begin to understand what it looks like to walk in wisdom. Ultimately, what we'll see is that to walk in wisdom is to walk in the will of God. But he builds up to that. He starts with another concept in, in verse 16, or in a, it's a related concept in verse 16, he says this, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The first point that he makes about what it looks like to walk in wisdom is that we, as the people of God, we need to know what time it is, right? I'd say this to my kids oftentimes. One of the things that your dad is still learning at age 37, and you must learn as children, is to know what time it is. And what I mean by that is that sometimes, right, it's time to laugh. It's time to goof around. It's time to roughhouse. It's time to play. Other times, it's time to listen. It's time to be respectful. Other times, it's, it's time, right, to cry, like to be emotional because things hurt. And other times, it's time to toughen up, Right? Sometimes you got to fight through things. You know, that idea. I want my kids, and I'm still struggling with this myself, to know what time it is, right? So that we act appropriately in, in, the, in the places we find ourselves. This is true in a, in a day-to-day sense, like the 24 hours that you have in every day, right? Like that, we, that you um, take that time. In fact, other translations of this passage would say redeem that time. Redeeming the time. In other words, make the most of every opportunity. There's a super convicting quote by John Piper. He says this. This is harsh, but hear it. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Right? Think about it beyond prayer, though, too. Just think about your 24 hours that you have every single day. Are you redeeming the time? This isn't a knock on Facebook or Twitter. That can sound really legalistic and harsh. I'm trying to, like, kind of jolt us awake a little bit. I think that's the point of that tweet, too. To jolt us awake a little bit. The irony of it is that he posted it on Twitter, right? To jolt us awake, are we truly considering how we spend our time day by day by day? And I love the translation, redeeming the time, because that that keeps us from thinking that we need to just live these hyper 
spiritual lives, like in a monastery somewhere, like just always reading scripture. But there's actually this this redeeming of the time that we have that is already allotted for a thousand other things like our careers and, and our kids at the ball field and, and uh, time with family and time with friends that we redeem that time for the sake of the kingdom. Are you considering day by day your time? And then think seasonally too. I love this. This is Proverbs chapter 30. There's this guy named Agar who has uh, most of the verses in Psalm 30. And he actually, you know, most people model up, right? Like they, they, uh, they, they'll choose stories of things that, that we relate to, pictures that are bigger than us. But Agar models down uh, in verse 24 of Proverbs chapter 30. He says, four things on earth are small. There's four tiny little things, but they are exceedingly wise. And his first one he mentions is the ant. The ants are people, not strong, yet... They provide their food in the summer. You remember a little children's uh, book maybe or a story about the grasshopper that he's like partying all summer long while the ants are like gathering all the food and then when winter comes he doesn't have anything. The ants are calling him a fool the whole time and, but they actually end up welcoming him in. And, right, right, that's the idea. You see, ants aren't hung up in the good old days, right? Like they're not sitting at the local bar talking about the, how good they were in high school at football. They're not like, they're not hung up in the past. But ants aren't waiting for the future either. They're not like, well, once, once I get that new job, then my life will be happy. Once I get married, then I'll be happy. They're not going, they're not waiting for something to arrive in the future. Nor are they in the present just YOLO, right? You only live once, do what you want. Haddon Robinson, who's a great preacher in our day, says about the ants in this verse, out of the instincts of the past, they use the present to prepare for the future. To know what time it is, as the people of God seasonally, is to use your days today, right? Having learned from what you've learned in the past, you prepare for the future today. There's spiritual implications to that. There's career implications to that. There's familial uh, family implications to that. That we use our time wisely. Redeem your time. Use your days. This is convicting for me. I'm either all in or I'm not in at all. When I'm not in at all, I tend to waste a bunch of time. And when I'm all in, I can't see anything else. We would be people who redeem our time. He says next what he's really getting at, though, the most important thing in verse 17. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You don't just need to know what time it is. You need to know whose will it is, right? When you are living your life, when you are making your decisions day by day and season by season, you need to know what time it is. You also need to know whose will it is. Is that part of your vocabulary, the will of God? Is that something that you are considering in your life when you make decisions, when you make plans? By the way, a lot of it is pretty obvious, right? Like if you're wondering if it's God's will or not for you to lie, the answer is no. It's in black and white right here. 
If you're wondering if it's God's will for you to love your neighbor, don't wonder anymore. It's, you don't have to pray about that. It's in black and white, in the word of God, that you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. The will of God is very explicit in many parts of Scripture, and think about it day by day, moment by moment. This isn't just about big career moves. This isn't just about like whether we're going to move to another state or whether or not I'm called to go into some sort of mission work. That's not the only time we need to be thinking about the will of God. It's a day-by-day thing. Are you concerned that the way that you live is in line with the will of God? On bigger, more nuanced things, right? You're not going to find a verse in here about whether or not you should, you know, move back to Texas. The answer is no, you shouldn't. But um, that was intended for someone in the room. No, but um, you may not find that in here. But you'll find guiding principles in here. And there's godly wisdom that you have in the relationships that you have in the church. And there's prayer and there's fasting and there is intentionality that you can bring to those discussions and those thoughts? Are you thinking, what is the will of God? In a nutshell, this wisdom is the will of God. And the will of God is wisdom. You want to live a life marked by wisdom, walk in the will of God. So the gospel walk is walking in the will of God. That's God the Father. That first member of the Trinity, is actually guiding us, leading us, instructing us. We don't walk alone. He's with us, leading us as we walk the gospel walk. Additionally, the Holy Spirit is with us. We must be filled with the Spirit. But before Paul gets to that, he steps on our toes one more time. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's harsh, right? Don't get drunk with wine. That's, that's debauchery. Well, but it's there. Here at Mercy Village Church, I want to say it like this. What we long to do as we talk about what the Bible says about certain things is we want to say that we forbid what the Bible forbids, right? Like that's our, po- that's our position. We forbid what the Bible forbids. And nowhere in the Bible does it forbid drinking alcohol. Everybody sigh sigh of relief. But we want to take what the Lord gives us and utilize it in ways that the Bible commands. And what is explicit and what I can say is unequivocally true is don't get drunk. It's not only here, it's everywhere in the Word of God. To be under the control, right, to, to, to have lost control to a substance is against the will of God. Unequivocally, 100% in the book right here. You probably knew that, but now you've been reminded of that. Here's the more important point, though. And you think about that analogy because what he says next in verse 18 is, Instead of being drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And putting it right up against that uh, command to not be drunk, he helps us understand what he means by being filled with the Spirit. Think about alcohol, right? It it, it will put you in a place of of, uh, happiness, right? Less inhibited, right? You'll, you'll do things right at its, at its best. Obviously, you have too much of it. You, you, some of you have been there, right? 
I've been there with some of you. <laughs> we won't tell those stories. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> but it brings you to a place, right? They call it happy hour, right? When, when you can get drinks at half price. Happy hour. Hear me. This is oversimplified. But at its base level, to be filled with the Spirit means that you are becoming a person who is happy about what makes God happy. That the Holy Spirit is working in you a joy inside of you with the things that make God happy. The ways of God. The ways of Jesus. The things that bring joy. You look at Acts chapter 13 verse 52. The disciples, the church is just steamrolling through Jerusalem and points surrounding. By God's grace, it's exploding. And as this is happening, we catch this little verse. It says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They come hand in hand. With the Holy Spirit comes happiness with what makes God happy. And in the face of evil days, remember that from earlier? That these days are evil, redeem the time, or, or, or beware how you use your time because the days are evil. Walking the gospel walk is not easy. Right? You're going to need the direction of the Father, and you're going to need the filling of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need something in you supernaturally helping you understand what makes God happy, nudging you in the direction of obedience, nudging you in the direction of Christ-likeness, because there are a thousand different directions that we can go in this world. And there are a thousand different voices telling us which direction we should go. But there's only one truth. The way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. The truth of the Word of God, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. He makes it known to us. I can't explain it beyond that because it's supernatural. I don't have a graph to show you. I don't have any like uh, biological understanding of that. The Holy Spirit works in us to reveal to us the ways of God and make us joyful as we walk in them. And then, the Holy Spirit being with us, filling us, evidences itself in a lot of different ways, and Paul shares three of them with us. These are two-way streets, though, by the way. As we hear this list of three different things, these are ways that we see that the Holy Spirit is filling us, is at work in us, but they're also ways, right, that we experience the reality of the Holy Spirit. He starts in verse 19, He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sounds like a musical, right? Like we all live in a musical. We sing our our stuff to each other. Making melody to the Lord with your heart. One of the evidences of the Holy Spirit at work in you is that there's a song in your heart. I know that sounds like a Disney musical, right? I hate that that sounds cheesy. I hate that that sounds corny. I hate that that sounds silly. It shouldn't. Think about it this way, right? Maybe you went through a breakup at some point in your life, and there was a song, right? There was an anthem for that breakup that was on the radio, and it's it's embedded in your mind, right? I don't know. Or there's that first dance song, if you're married, that you shared at your, your wedding. Different songs carry with them, right? Because music is a is a powerful tool. When Josh Early, our other pastor, when he 
thinks about the songs that we're going to sing up here, one of the things that he's thinking in his mind, this is how he talks, is that we'll have songs that we can sing at gravesides. That we'll have songs that we can sing, right, in cancer wards. That we'll have songs that we can sing when life is at its lowest places. And we'll have songs that we can sing to process the most joyful things that happen in our lives as well. That music plays that role in our lives. And so Paul says, if you're filled with the Spirit, there will be a song in your heart. It's going to look different for a lot of you, right? Some of y'all might put your hands up in worship. Some of y'all might get goosebumps over music. Some of y'all might be carpool karaoke in it to worship music, whatever. For others of you, it may be a more behind-the-scenes type of thing, but might we all engage, right, that song in our hearts? And I would say this, too, that on Sunday mornings when we're together, we're practicing. We're practicing for the times we find ourselves in the lowest places. So practice, right? Even if you just have to mouth the words and kind of sing under your breath because you can't stand the, same, the sound of your own voice. It's fine. People next to you can't either. I'm just kidding. Sing. Sing on Sundays. Practice for those days. One day we'll all be singing in the presence of Jesus together. The next evidence he gives is that of thankfulness. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another evidence that the Holy Spirit has filled you is that you're a thankful person. How often? Always. In what situations? Everything. To who? God, in the name of Jesus. You mean everything? I didn't write it. I just read it to you. I just read it to you. Yes, everything. Always, again, don't shoot the messenger. Yes, always thankful. You, you see how big of an ask that is? That's huge, right? You can't do that. I, I can't do that. I, mean, I haven't even been thankful all morning. Right? Be thankful always. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit will ooze thankfulness. It will pour out of us. I complain a lot. I'm convicted by this. That's actually the opposite. Might we be people who complain less and are thankful more? And the last one might be the hardest of all, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Evidence of the Holy Spirit filling your life is that you're willing to submit your preferences and desires to other people. Yikes. I'm worse at that than I am at thankfulness. I like to micromanage things. I like things to go the way I want them to go. I like the family to move in a certain way. I like my wife to act in a certain way. I like everybody that comes into my orbit to treat me in a certain way and act a certain way towards me. I'm not very good at at submitting to those around me. I'll be a a broken record on this one, though, because the Bible says this. The posture of the Christian within the body of Christ should be Chick-fil-A employee. It should. You know, like, how can I serve you? Like, just back off, right? Like, they're right up there, right? Like, how can I serve you? My pleasure, I think, right? Can you give me a milkshake with a 
with a whole banana in it with, you know, like two chicken nuggets on my pleasure. And they'll like, they just do it, right? Like it's like insane. I don't know what they're feeding them there. I know what they're feeding them. I don't know what they got in the Kool-Aid for those employees, but that's the way we should be. It's the body of Christ. Tripping over ourselves to serve one another. Tripping over ourselves to lay down our preferences and our desires for the sake of others. You get to a place, right, where everyone in the body of Christ is outdoing one another and showing honor. That's my favorite verse. I love that verse. That's the competition of the body. The competition of the body is, no, I'm going to serve. No, I'm going to serve. No, I'm going to serve. Right? That's, that's where we should go at head, butt heads is over who's going to be more servant-hearted. Right? That's where our fights should be. If, if the only fights the church was having was over who was going to be of more help to the other person, what a beautiful place that would be. You show me a church where people are tripping over each other to yield their preferences and defer their opinions and lay down their lives, right, to, like Jesus, before his death, go for the towel instead of the crown, to wash feet instead of sit on the throne, right? If that's the posture of, of a church, then I'll show you a church that the Holy Spirit is present in. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because people don't act like that on their own. I don't act like that on my own. Only with the help of the Holy Spirit. So we can't walk alone. If we're going to be the type of church that lives that way, that, that, that values our time and uses it for the sake of the kingdom, that desires to know the will of God in every single thing that we do, if we're going to be the kind of church that is filled with the Spirit, has a song in our heart, is oozing thankfulness day by day, is willing to submit to one another, then we can't walk alone. So God gives us the directions of how to go, and the Holy Spirit fills us as we go. And then lastly, it's done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20. Jesus knew what time it was. You read the Gospels, you'll hear him saying things like, my hour has not yet come, or the time is now, right? He knows what Time it is over and over and over again. You'll you'll hear Jesus say things like that. Jesus knew whose will it was. John six thirty six. I have to read it off of there. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. He knew whose will it was. Remember Jesus. Before he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane to be betrayed by Judas, he's going to weep in the garden and then die on the cross. What do they do as they leave the upper room? They sing. Jesus has a song in his heart, even on the way to the cross. See Jesus in his high priestly prayer? Really, every time he prays, he is thankful. He's always thanking God for this, thanking the Father for that. He was a thankful Savior. And Jesus, of course, the the ultimate example of submission in the garden when he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will but yours be done. Jesus knew what time it was. He valued his time and used it for the kingdom. Jesus knew whose will it was. He lived according to the will of his father. Jesus 
was singing on the way to the cross. He was thankful. He betrayed what it is to be, a, to be thankful, and he submitted to the Father. And Jesus is our only hope. If we're going to walk a gospel walk. But hear me today. If you're a Christian, the gospel walk looks like this. Yoke up with Jesus. Yoke up with Jesus. We'll come back to this at Mercy Village Church until the day I die. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 20. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you hear the call to be thankful or to have a song in your heart or to walk in the will of God, to spend your time correctly, hear Jesus inviting you to walk through this life with him. Don't hear it as a heavy burden. Don't hear it as you got to get right with God. You got to get yourself together. Hear the loving, gentle, and lowly voice of your Father speaking to you. Do you believe that today? That to walk the gospel walk is actually a pathway to the best possible life that you can have this side of heaven? I don't always believe that. Am I allowed to say that as the pastor? I long to believe that more. I long for us to believe that as the people of God, that we come to obedience not out of legalistic burdens, but out of joyful submission to human flourishing at its highest level. So as you hear the list of things that we talked about today, Which one of those do you hear maybe most predominantly of Jesus whispering to you, walk with me? Hear the the list. Try to hear Jesus speaking to you. Making better use of time. Is that something this week that is a way that you can walk with Jesus more closely? Bringing yourself in line with the will of God, is there a specific place in your life where you've been wrestling. I'm not sure I want to walk in obedience here. Do you hear his invitation there? Being filled with the Spirit. It's a more complex one in some ways, but not really. Are you longing to be more sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you hear Jesus inviting you there? Maybe it's with music. I don't know what that looks like, but practical habits of of having a song in your heart, being more thankful, like actually displaying gratitude intentionally in your life, submitting to others in a current relationship. Or maybe it's something beyond all of those, but do you hear the voice of Jesus today whispering to you, come walk? That's my prayer. That's my hope. If you're not a Christian, Jesus is your absolute only hope. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
If you're not a Christian, if you have any hope of walking in a way that, that is uh, a picture of what we just read, then you must come to faith in Christ. Jesus died. We, we talked about this. We just came out of Holy Week. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, never sinned, went to the cross, was crucified, dead, and buried. He spilled blood out of his hands and out of his feet. The Bible says that without the giving of Jesus' blood, there's no forgiveness, no remission of sins. We talked about the price that Jesus paid for our re- redemption. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. You're not going to be able to work your way into the kingdom of God. You're not going to be able to work your way into a relationship with God only by grace through faith, Paul tells the people at a fee, at the church at Ephesus. By grace through faith, we are saved. If you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and you would like to know more about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. To walk in the way of the gospel means we never walk alone. But instead, we walk in the Father's ways, filled by the Holy Spirit, alongside our big brother, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you walk with us. That we never walk alone. Might we hear these calls to obedience as gentle and lowly today, as loving, as good. Yes, convict us. We need to be convicted. And and maybe with that will come some momentary feelings of guilt, but may that not be where we stay. But instead, may we go to the cross, even as we celebrate communion together, and see the sacrifice of your son Jesus there on our behalf, and see the power of his resurrection, and know that that power is at work in us, right? Just like just like Isaiah, I couldn't even stand or walk as a baby and I held his hands and put his feet on my feet and I walked with him. You will enable us to walk with obedience in that very same way. And the beauty of it all is not even our righteousness, although that's beautiful, but that we get to be with you in that obedience. What a gift. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.